time. Now we can get down to the business. Hi, my love. How are you? I'm, I'm so, so good. I'm excited to chat with you too. Yeah. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much to all of you beautiful folks who are here at Sisters in Business Expo. Thank you so much for supporting Aisha. This means so much because we need to be supporting each other. We need to be encouraging each other. And everyone that's in this room that has invested in themselves and their own small business, you know, I really hope that you have the support and the love that you need to really make a go of this, because it's not easy being an entrepreneur, but we all have the ability in us, especially if we know how to ask for help, we have the ability in us to make a real go of it. So I just want to salute you and um, give you love and let you know how much I appreciate you being here. Um, excuse me. for business and to celebrate all of you women, to celebrate small businesses and get some free gems from <laughs> Bevy. And of course, go over there and definitely check out her book where she does all of that and more. Bevy, thank you so much for sitting down. I'm so excited to get into your interview. Now, the other day there was a versus. Oh, yeah. And, and I saw that you, you were on there. <laughs> yes. I just want to know who, who won. Well, I mean, clearly the locks won. <laughs> Um, and, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, but you're from Harlem, Dipset. And I was like, but the locks are from, like, Yonkers, which is uptown. And so it's all one big happy family. But it was a really great moment for the culture. And speaking of, you know, you saw that was really big into the verses. Um, I posted a lot of throwback pictures from that era, from when I used to be the fashion and beauty advertising director at Vibe magazine. And being in that position was the first time ever that my street life, my like, you know, hip-hop hottie life collided with my career, being at Vibe Magazine. It was really a great thing. And when I looked at those pictures, when I looked at all those fabulous photos of folks, I was like amazed at the fact that I had almost kind of forgotten the kind of like hip-hop hottie that I once was. I was like, oh, I forgot how much fun she was. She's a good time. How many of us have like personas that we've kind of like put away and then sometimes, but you should always bring them back every now and again. Let them come outside and revisit. This sounds know? like Big Bad. Uh, yeah, 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 yes, Big Bad from Uptown, that's uptown. right. You read the book. <laughs> so, like you said, you, you spoke a little bit about when you were over at Vibe and you've done so many things in your career. But right now, let's talk about like how you got into this entrepreneurial path that you've been on because it wasn't always the Bevy Smith that we know and love today. You yeah. had a journey, it is art. Yes, yes, I did. I mean, you know, I became an accidental entrepreneur because um, when I quit my job at Rolling Stone magazine as the only kind of black woman in that management space, um, the only black person in that management space, um, I, I knew I wanted to kind of go into entertainment, into media. And so when I got the opportunity to kind of like leave Rolling Stone and start on my own path. It was really just about being on TV and doing that kind of stuff. And in the middle of the process, I went broke. And I then was like, well, I'm doing so well. I'm doing the things that I love to do. I just haven't started making enough money so I can really do it, what we were just talking about. You know, I mean, so many of you, I'm sure that are entrepreneurs understand what I'm saying. It's like. You love what you're doing, but the money has not caught up with the passion just yet. And so I was like, well, I don't want to stop pursuing my, my dream of being on TV 
but I need to make some money because I'm about to be evicted. So I created Dinner with Bevy and I became an entrepreneur through that and it was really, I came up with this idea because I was like, oh, I need um, a, a career path that I don't have to have any money down to start this business. All I had was relationships in fashion and I had relationships in um, music. And so I started doing dinners for music industry people. So my first dinner ever was for Music Soul Child. And then I was going on to do dinners for Pharrell, for Idris Elba, for Kerry Washington, for HBO, for Moe Hennessy, for all these big brands. But it just started with an idea and I became an entrepreneur. Not because I even ever thought or dreamed of being an entrepreneur. It, I always say I was an accidental entrepreneur. Fabulous. Isn't, isn't she fabulous? Like, <laughs> I mean, and the one thing that I really enjoyed about your book and enjoy about you, Bevy, is that not only have you had like this super colossal career where you were in marketing and doing things that we would all like take our arms off for, but then you gave it all up and you said, you know what, I'm going to do what really feeds my soul and my spirit. And I think that's something that we can all applaud for Bevy because taking that is, is not easy. And now, as you said, you were an accidental entrepreneur. So what lessons kind of have you learned? Any challenges, struggles that you can have for our folks in the crowd? Okay, so there's a young woman over there that has a financial services table. Oh, well, there's several then. Okay, so anybody in this hall who has a business should go and visit anybody in this hall who has a financial services business, who has a legal business, you know, because you cannot really create a business without having your paperwork together, without having your money together. I will tell y'all this, because I believe in transparency and I believe in the vulnerability. So it was awesome that I was able to quit my job and it was awesome that I was able to create this business and all that kind of stuff. But what wasn't awesome is that I didn't realize that when I was collecting those checks and trying to catch up with like paying my bills, I was not paying someone who was very important. I believe you guys know him as Uncle Sam. Oh no. Yeah, and Uncle Sam, he, he didn't want to hear that I was broke and that I need to catch up on my, my back bills. He was like, yeah, but you need to see me first before you saw anybody else. And so that put me in a financial, you know, kind of, um, in, in a really bad financial space. Um, but if I had proper structure to my business, raise your hand, babe. <laughs> she's over there, she's got legal services, um, how to incorporate. I didn't do that kind of stuff. I didn't do a lot of the other things. And if I had someone who was with me doing financial planning and a, a lawyer or a legal service that I was able to engage, I would have been much better off. So I think that that's one of the first things that we all have to think about when we're going into these businesses. And even when we're doing the gig economy and when we're being freelancers, we have to make sure that we're understanding the like legal um, pitfalls of doing this kind of business where we have these, um, the freedom um, of creating our own lives in that way versus having a job where they take out the taxes and all you have to do is worry about what level of um, income tax check return you're gonna get, right? So yeah, I think that that's one of the most pivotal things in the journey that I kind of really learned. Now, when I was reading the book, you talked about so many different revelations. Love the name. <laughs> <laughs> so clever. That you have in there, but one experience that I felt like 
I wanted to ask you about was you working at Vibe. It seemed to me that Vibe was like your true love that you had to let go in yes. order to be the you of today. Yes, okay, I'm so glad you brought that up. You really did read the book. Daddy, I read the book? You really did read the book. So, I loved being at Vibe Magazine. Imagine working in Wakanda. That's what working at Vibe Magazine was like during that era. Because we had a lot of money, we were really fly, we were going to Milan and Paris six times a year. We were black and hip hop and sitting front row at all the big designer shows. I mean, it was a crazy, amazing experience. Um, and I really did not want to leave Vibe. So when I realized that I was unhappy doing the job that I had at Vibe, I still didn't want to leave Vibe. I just didn't want to do that job anymore. And I kept going back to the president of Vibe saying, but what about if I do this? And what about if I do that? And he would always be like, no, no, no. You're really good at this. We need you in this position. You make us so much money, just stay there. And I was like, but I'm unhappy. He was like, you're really good at this. You make us so much money, stay there. And I think all of us can kind of probably identify with that. Well, you know, um, we're really good at one thing and sometimes people think, well, why would you want to leave that? You're excellent at it. Everyone knows you for that, you know. But it's like, it's something in your spirit that tells you when you want to disengage and you want to try something new and you want to risk it all, which I did risk it all. But that was really, really tough for me. Um, I did not want to leave, but something happened. I got an offer from Rolling Stone magazine and I said to myself, oh, I'm going to go to Vibe and let them know that Rolling Stone magazine offered me this and then Vibe will have no choice but to give me the opportunity to do something different. So I'm marching to the president's office and I'm like, yeah, just had a really great meeting with Rolling Stone and they want to hire me and they're offering me $100,000 more than what I make here. And the president looked at me and said, that is amazing, Bevy. We cannot counter that <laughs> offer. So you, thank you so much for all that you've done for Vibe and you take care of yourself and congratulations on your new job at Rolling Stone. I get, I get, I did not want to leave. And so then I had a choice. I could have been like, oops, just kidding. <laughs> I could have doubled back and been like, oh, okay, well, I can just go to Rolling Stone. Or I can say, I don't want to do this kind of work anymore anyway, so let me just go out on my own right now. Well, I took option B because I was like, well, they're paying me $100,000 more. I'll just stay there for one year and I'll collect that money and then that'll be some seed money to start my new life. So that's what I did. But I did not want to leave Vibe. So sometimes, what they say, um, man's rejection is God's protection. I, would, I might still be a damn Vibe magazine if they hadn't been like, you take care, sweetie girl. Thanks for the help. You know what I mean? So a lot of times um, when things don't go our way, we can't be disheartened by that. You know, everything will be revealed in time. And all, as I say in my book all the time, everything is as it should be. Everything is as it should be. Even when we can't see it, a lot of times there is something going on at work that we have, we're not privy to. And so we just have to take that wait and see approach and, and see what happens next. So we have to remain open. That's one of the really big lessons I've learned in life, to remain open. Beautiful advice. And one thing, when you did touch on Rolling Stone, and in the book, 
And in most companies, I feel as though we are far and few between. Like, you yeah. know, we are not the black women in the front. We're not the black women sometimes in the head offices. And you were a very big deal. But you did put a lot of emphasis on the fact that you were the brown face. You were the woman. So you had that extra pressure on you to do well. And I feel like for these people here today, you know, they want to be entrepreneurs and maybe, like me, they're still working, you know, that full-time job and they're trying to make their place in that business. And what advice can you give to them? Okay, so in every single aspect of your life, you are a brand. Even if you're working for a huge corporation, you should make a point of creating a brand within their brand. And the way I was able to do that and many times in, in, in my career, career, even before there was such a thing as a personal brand, one of the things I did was that I really carved out um, um, a niche for myself. I became the black woman who had all of the entree into high-end luxury fashion. I became the black woman who could go into any designer fashion showroom and get a meeting. Um, I, and, and one of the things that I did to build, to build up that brand was that I was not shy about letting folks know what I was doing. A lot of times we can fall into a trap of, oh, be humble, be demure. Um, when's the last time you saw a successful white man be humble and be demure? When's the last time you saw a successful white man do that? Never. They don't have it in us. But you know what happens for us as women and then as black women? Oftentimes, that is inherent in our culture that we be humble, that we downplay ourselves, that we don't stand out, that we don't let people know all of our accomplishments. Well, no, you have to sometimes let folks know what you are doing. You have to let people know about your wins. And you have to ask them, if they're not willing to celebrate you, you have to ask them sometimes, especially when they're close with you, are you celebrating my wins? Are you, are you shouting it from the rooftop that I got this promotion or whatever? You know what I mean? So just make sure you're surrounding yourself with people that are really helping you promote your brand, even within a brand. But we all have brands. We, I had a brand when I was 15 years old and I was the first girl on my block to wear a spandex dress. You know what I mean? I had a brand then. I had a brand when I was, you know, when, when I went to um, junior, I mean, when I went to high school and I used to freestyle in the bathroom, you know, rapping, not doing other things. <laughs> you know, I had a brand back then, you know what I mean? But we all have brands and we just, it's just about us tapping into it. And something that I say about in the book is that, and this is my three tenets based on the red soul proposition. And that's really about the Louboutin thing. So when Louboutin first came out, the number one shoe, if you were a fashionista, was the Manola Blahnik. How many people have heard of Manola Blahnik? Now, be honest, how many people own Manola Blahniks? Okay, right. Now, how many people have heard of Louboutin? How many people own Louboutin or are striving to get Louboutins? Exactly. Is that, huh? I heard they hurt your feet. So. They do hurt your feet. But, <laughs> but all of them do, so you might as well, you know, child, it's, it's, it hurts to be beautiful. But my point is this. Louboutin came out of the blue and was able to take over from Nola Blahnik and make it an aspirational shoe. So even if you don't own a Louboutin, you want a Louboutin. So we have to find out how we're gonna get people to want to be a part of our brand. So there's three questions in my book that I ask. Who are you at your core? 
And for me, at my core, I'm Lulu Brown Babby. I'm curious, I'm adventurous, I'm empathetic. I'm really smart, I'm shy. Um, those are things that really make up who I am. And then who, how are you being perceived? Now, at work I was perceived in two ways. People thought I was fabulous and bougie, or people thought I was bitchy and hood. Now, the truth lies somewhere in the middle. <laughs> the truth lies somewhere in the middle. But that's the way I was being perceived. But what the, that perception didn't leave much room for curious, shy, adventurous, empathetic bevy. So that's a problem. How did I want to be perceived? I wanted people to know that I had a heart, that I was a teacher, I was a guide, that I was someone who wanted to help others, that it wasn't just all about showing up and having on a fancy dress and the highest heel and having your face beat. That's, I didn't want that to be my legacy. I didn't want that to be my brand. So I had to start doing work, the introspective work so Little Brown Bevy could show up. And I think I did a good job because my book is called Revelations, Lessons from a Mother, Auntie Bestie. And the reason why it's called that is because when people see me on TV, they either think of me as a mother, they think of me as an auntie, or they think of me as a bestie. And that's because when I show up on TV, even if I am funny and I'm like, you know, being, you know, shady or whatever, you can, I think, and you guys tell me if I'm wrong, I think a lot of times people feel the love that comes from me. They feel the warm spirit that comes from me. And that was my goal. So I'm really proud that I was able to achieve it. So I was able to remix the idea that I was bitchy or stuck up or hood and too tough into being this nurturing spirit of a mother or auntie and a bestie. So that's how I built that brand. So that's how you all can build your brand, those three questions. Red Soul Proposition. It's in the book, Revelations. Lessons from Mother, Auntie, Bestie. Go buy it, it's over there. Damn. Damn. <laughs> what I love about that is, you know, when you actually do read the book and you're going through all the things that you go through, you were so open. And I love that you said that you took notes, you took journals. And then when you were unemployed. Yes. <laughs> Child broke. I was like, oh, I was a little okay, broke. No, I was, uh, the, the chapter <laughs> is literally called Broke but Blissful. Yeah, it was broke. So but I she, was, she was still having so much fun. I was. And learning <laughs> and loving herself and just taking self-care time. But she took that time way back when to say, I'm going to journal. I'm going to just write about myself. That's kind of how you said the book came about, just yeah. looking back on your notes. How did you start writing it? Because some of these references in this book are very current. Like oh, you yeah. talking about the divorce of uh, Bezos and all this stuff. I said, wait a, wait a minute now, baby. When did we so, start writing this? So the craziest thing is that the book was supposed to originally come out like, no. No, I would, the book was due to the editor, to the publisher, November 3rd. My birthday is November 2nd. November 3rd, 2019. I was working Page Six TV. How many of you guys ever saw me on Page Six TV? Well, I hated that job, okay. <laughs> but it paid me very good money, but it took up a lot of my time and it zapped my spirit. But um, I was at Page Six TV and like I said, I was, I was really very depressed working that job. Um, it wasn't something that I, I literally, I, I, that I particularly loved wasn't something that I, I really enjoyed. The content of the show wasn't something I, I was just like rabidly interested in. But they paid me good money and everyone told me, oh my God, baby, you're on nationally syndicated TV. That's a really big deal. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna take this job. And I get it. And everyone is seeing me and I'm going into all these places and they're like, oh my God, I love you. I watch you every day. 
Everything that glitters ain't gold. But because I was depressed on that job. So when you're depressed, it's very hard to sit down and really kind of look at your life and then write a memoir. It's very hard to do that. You have to be in a good mental space to do it. So suffice to say, I missed that deadline, <laughs> November 3rd, 19, I mean 2019. And then, um, you know, so we missed that. And uh, then I went back to work, writing all this stuff. And then Page Six TV got canceled. And I said, ooh, I'm gonna take a moment for myself and figure out what it is I wanna do and I'm gonna finish the book. And then uh, the pandemic happened in March 2020. And I was editing the book. So when the pandemic happened, and I got COVID in March of 2020, when no one knew what it was, they didn't know how to, they didn't know what to tell you about anything. All they told you was, don't come to the hospital unless you literally cannot breathe. Do not show up in nobody's hospital. We don't have nothing for you. Ain't no ventilators. We ain't got nothing for you. So it was a very scary time. So when I recovered from COVID, and then my father passed away, of COVID, and then that's when I knew I had to finish the book, and I knew that I had to write about what was going on, and then George Floyd happened. I was like, there's no way that I can just have this book come out and not mention COVID, and not mention George Floyd, and not, so that's why the, the book is so current. And so, again, everything is as it should be, because if I had been able to finish that book November 3rd, 2019, it wouldn't have all those references in it. So again, you have to trust the process, you have to trust the universe that, you know, we may not know at the time when things are happening, why they're happening, oh, but please believe. It's all well-intended and it's all, um, like I said, everything is as it should be. So when things don't go your way or when plans don't kind of pan out the way you thought they were supposed to, don't panic, be still and wait for the outcome to, to play out, because it always does. Give it up for Bevy being able to overcome that. And give it up for yourselves for being out here today while all this is going on, because you know that your businesses are important. Yeah. And you wanted to get these gems from Bevy, so that was amazing there. Now, I know you are amazing now, and you are great now, but I know there has been like some missteps or things that you've seen other people do that you said, you know, I hope this isn't me, or I've learned from them. What kind of mistakes did you see others make that learned, that helped you right, in your entrepreneurial journey? Um, I think one of the biggest things I want you guys to know is that everything that glitters ain't gold, and everything you see on social media is most times fake. It really is. It's a lot of fugaziness. So I mentioned that because I feel that so many of us are held back from even pursuing our dreams because we think, well, I don't want to do my little business. I don't want to start my little, what are the friends going to say? You know what I mean? We have to stop comparing ourselves to other people, especially strangers, where we have no way of knowing what's really going on with them to begin with. We don't know what's going on with these people that we see on social media. We don't know what's going on with that woman who has 200,000 followers and she's telling us that she made a million dollars in five minutes and all these things. We don't know what's going on with her. She might really have that life or it could be full on smoke and mirrors, you know? Okay, that was just a, a dummy. It wasn't a person, thank God. 
As a man that can write, okay. I think so, yeah. Ain't nobody fell out, okay. Now insurance, now. Come insurance. On. Oh yeah, we do have somebody with insurance. Yeah, I want to be sued. Yes. Um, but one of the things that, that that's something that troubles me because I know we live in this world of social media, and I always say that, and I did not come up with this. It's not a revelation. It's something that I know to be so though. That comparison is a thief of joy. If you compare, you most, assur you most assuredly will despair. Don't compare yourself to anyone else. You gotta run your own race. You have to look at your life and determine what happiness looks like for you. So for me, right now, I don't care to host another TV show about pop culture and fashion. If someone wants to give me that job and pay me well, awesome, I'll do it. But. That's not something I'm pursuing. That's not where I'm putting my energy, my focus, none of it into. And that's something that, you know, I think it's really tough because then we look at, I look at other people in my space, and you know, they're like, oh, baby, you should, um, the, the real is hiring, or the talk, or, and the one job I would like is the view. I do like that place. But, but, I'm, all, but I'm also now really focusing my energy on acting, that is what I want to do. And I've, I've, that's what I'm putting my energy into. I'm putting my energy into, I have a motivational speaking tour that I'm doing called Life with Vision. That's the work that I'm doing. And, and that's, that's what I'm really focused on. So for me, I can't worry about what someone else is doing in the space that I'm supposedly living in. I have to really actually focus in on what my intentions are and the things that will make me happy. And so we have to do the introspective work in order to realize that. So I think that that's probably the biggest misstep that I see people making, where they're looking at other people's success and saying, why not me, and comparing themselves all day long. Don't do that. And Bevy is actually working right now to get an EGOT. We're going to speak oh, it out yeah. there. We're going to put it out there, and if you don't know what that is, Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. Yes, that's one of my big, big, big goals. <laughs> so another thing that... I just mentioned my Life with Vision motivational speaking um, tour that I'm doing. And one of the things that we talk about at Life with Vision is about being super vulnerable and taking really big risks and letting people know about our dreams, our desires, and our passions, even if it means that they laugh, that they don't believe that we can do it. So yes, I put in my book, and I speak this everywhere I go, my goal is to become an EGOT win an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. The way I want to win my Emmy, thank you, the way I want to win my Emmy is I could do it as a TV host. You know, um, Tamron Hall has an Emmy. You know, Oprah has 97,000 Emmys, you know. So yeah, so that's the way I would get an Emmy. Um, a Grammy, I could win a Grammy for um, a spoken word project. I could win a Grammy for narrating my book. Um, I could get a Grammy because I'm an actor now, and what if I'm in a, 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 a show, on a Broadway show that has a, 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 a stage recording, and they get nominated for a Grammy, and then they win, then guess what? Grammy winner, Bebby Smith, okay. <laughs> Oscar, my goal is to become, as an actor, I wanna be a, a character actor. That means that's not the star. You know, like you think about someone like, Jennifer Lewis, before she got on Blackish, we all still knew and loved her. 
We didn't know her name though, right? Remember that? We used to be like, oh my God, I love that lady. She's always playing somebody's mother and she's funny. I would love that kind of career where you, people, you don't have to be a star, but people that work in the business know and respect your work and they always call you. You're always working. Before Jennifer Lewis got blackish, she was another unemployed. I would love a career like that. And that kind of a career can garner you a lot of success, but also you get to keep your private life. That's what I'm into, my private life. That's why I would never do reality TV because I don't want nobody in my business. But anyway, I digress. So that's how it hit my Oscar. And then my Tony would be for my Broadway show, my one-woman show called God. It's called Grown-Ass Woman. And it basically is a story through, um, told through song and dance about my journey and my trajectory. So that's my EGOT strategy. Hey. Yeah, I have a strategy. Y'all hear all the success she has, she's not resting. This is what no, is to come. No. <laughs> no, and okay, so my number one revelations is... I'm gonna ask that next. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> well, now that you talk about so many revelations in your book, what is the most impactful revelation that you want to share with all of us today? There were so many. The number one revelation for everyone in this room that you must take in, absorb, eat it, digest it, live it. It gets greater later. Yes, indeed, it gets greater later because I'm going to tell you, I quit my job at Rolling Stone Magazine at 38. I got my first TV show, Fashion Queens, at 45. I got my second TV show, Page Six TV, at 50. I wrote my first book at, and published it at the age of 54. I was the art curator on a new film that's coming out on Apple TV. Um, and I did all the art curation at the age of 54. And I'm now a guest star on a new show that's gonna be coming out on Amazon where they called me in to do three lines. I did so well they called me back to ad-lib and to do another scene. And then I did so well that they called me back to do another scene. So I've done three scenes on a, a new show that's coming out on Amazon with people that you all know. And I showed up as little actress Bevy and I did the damn thing. Hopefully I'll end up on the cutting room floor. Cause you know how that goes, child. They might put me on the cutting room. But the point is, is that I did all those things. And now I'm 54 years old. And I'll be 55 in November. And yes, it really does get greater later. I'm not stopping. Can't stop, won't stop. Ain't that what Diddy said? I'm not stopping. You know what I mean? I, I mean, I was one of the last people to interview Cicely Tyson. I interviewed Cicely Tyson on a Tuesday, Miss Tyson passed away on a Thursday. And I said, I asked her, and this is all on my social media, you can go and check me out on Bevy Smith on all social media platforms. But um, I asked Miss Tyson, will you say to people that feel like it's too late, the time has passed them by? She said, time has only passed you by if you believe that. It's not about what people do to you, it's about what you believe they can do to you. It's about what you believe your belief system, and I truly do believe that, because if for any reason, when I was quitting Rolling Stone, and I'm dark-skinned, and I'm curvy, and I have short hair, and I have a lisp, and I should have said, there's no way you could get on TV, because you have to think about something. Even to this day, there's no, really no one like me on TV, because you have people that are like, you know, yeah, you have a dark-skinned woman on, or maybe you have some woman that has, you know, extra pounds or whatever, but a lot of times these women are not glamorous. They don't, 
present themselves as sexy, vibrant beings. And if you've ever seen me on TV, you know I present myself like Am. Okay? Am. With all the chocolatiness and all the thickness and all the things. That's something that is uniquely me, but I also believe that about myself. And so, even to this day, there's not a lot of people that show up looking like me on TV. Also, the fact that when I'm on Wendy Williams, if you guys have ever seen me on the Style Squad um, portion of the show, I speak my mind. Sometimes, uh, oftentimes, me and Wendy disagree. I don't hold my tongue. I'm a grown-ass woman. Wendy a grown-ass woman. We can agree to disagree. You know, and, and those are all things that you kind of like, you can kind of really tap into once you really know who you are. Okay, okay I think y'all should just take that down. Y'all might just need to move. Just take it on down. <laughs> just take it on down. Um, but yeah, so, you know, it, it's, it's really about being very confident, but not a fake it till you make it kind of confidence. Doing the work to really, really, truly become confident. Because the fake it till you make it, it's fine. But what I, what I have realized in my life is that most people that fake it till you make it never truly make it. Because you're just always just running, running, running. And then all of a sudden people buy into that about you. And then that becomes your brand. And so you never have a chance to take a step back. You never have a chance to tell people, I'm scared, I'm uncomfortable. I feel like I could fail. I do this all the time with my team. I have a whole team that knows when I'm like nervous and I'm scared. I don't need to show up as Bevy Smith who knows it all. I humble myself in front of my, my team and I let them know, child, I don't know about this one. I had to call my team and this again is transparency. I called my team, I said, y'all, if they close it down with the COVID again, you know, y'all y'all gonna be furloughed. Because, okay, <laughs> mother needs to make coins so she can pay you. So if that means, you know. But a lot of people wouldn't do that. You know how many people would front? You know how many people would wait until the last minute to be like, oh, I'm sorry, but, or just go someone? So it's important to have that transparency, to have that vulnerability. And, you know, that's a part of being a grown-ass woman. God. Okay. Uh, and yes, clap it up, because on that, I went off on so many different tangents on that channel. I don't even know where I was going with it, but you know, I hope y'all got something out of it. They got more than they, <laughs> they got a, you gave them more jams, I would have said, go read the book. <laughs> but we are going to take a few questions oh, from you questions. all. Q and A. I know y'all tired of hearing me. More I better. love questions. 